solo Tevez, Tevez está solo, Tevez, Tevez, Tevez al fin de la línea, corre tutti Tevez. And welcome to More Than A Game, a show about Australian football, the Premier League, and more. Uh, my name's Tommy C, and joining me this week, we've got Jesse. We've also got Scotty. Gents, how are you doing this week? Jesse? Mate, very good. Very good. Um, yeah, mid, mid-game week, as we mentioned. Um, so there's plenty to plenty to uh, football to come. But uh, the football that's been played so far has been entertaining, if not a little bit unconventional, uh, some of the results so far. <laughs> Interesting way of putting it, mate. Uh, Scotty, welcome back. Uh, always great to have you on the pod. Um, this week we asked on, on Twitter, um, we asked of our followers, what what, uh, what interesting tidbit of information would they have underneath uh, their commentary label if they were on TV? What, what would yours be? Well, I, first of all, great to be back. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I think it would be I was uh, part of an Invincible side back in my under-11s days, uh, when oh. the entire season. Uh, and... Uh, and an extra point, uh, I think, that puts us over other invincibles. We didn't have a regular goalkeeper, so we had to rotate the keeper, and we still went unbeaten in that season. Uh, so yeah, was it like a Roman goalkeeper? Do you remember that? Like how uh, they would they would they could use their hands, but like they just went anywhere. Uh, we weren't that brave. Um, so our, <laughs> our manager just uh, you had a, a half in goal, and uh, that was like every. Eight or nine matches, you had to spend 45 minutes or however it was in goal, uh, under 11s. So, yeah, kept everyone on their toes. Um, when you said Roman goalkeeper, um, Tommy, I was sort of trying to picture like Julius Caesar um, keep, <laughs> keeping goals out, you know, in a, in a, in a gladiatorial arena. Um, is, is that what you had in mind? Well, actually, mate, I think I've just had um, a, a today I learnt moment because um, I always thought it was a Roman goalkeeper, as in from Rome. Um, but I, I think I've just realised that they actually mean roaming. Yeah, that, that's is, that's certainly what yeah. I would have said. <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought, oh, I wonder where that name comes from. Like, yeah, <laughs> roaming, like, is it is it because they used to wear sandals or or, or what? <laughs> but uh, instead of uh, going down a history um, rabbit hole, uh, let's get into some football, shall we? Um, Jesse, what uh, what did you like from the week of football that was? Um. I liked a lot of uh, the Champions League action. Um, obviously, Haaland and, and Mbappe just absolutely uh, shredding it. Um, one, one, yeah, just fantastic to see because we, we both, know, you know, we all know that they're going to be um, both um, great players in the future. But just the the stats so far is just extraordinary. And I know that Mbappe's been playing for um, uh, for Monaco and then P- PSG, but I mean, like Haaland's um, been playing part of it. Um, for another club other than Dortmund. Um, and his numbers are just absolutely extraordinary. And they're different players. And um, everyone's talking about the sort of comparison between the two of them. And, and you can't help but feel that, you know, if uh, Real Madrid and, uh, and Barca had the money of yesteryears, um, they'd be tempted to throw the money at both of them, um, even though they'd probably go financially broke like they are now anyway. But um, uh, Even broker? Could, even broker, <laughs> yeah. But you could Im- imagine those two up front uh, in any team. Like, you might as well just quit. Um, if you're going to be defending against them. So that was definitely uh, my moment of the week. A, a special mention 
uh, on another note for, for Minamino, who got a lovely, delightful uh, goal last night against Chelsea. I thought that was a nice goal. That, I really enjoyed that too, where he sat down the goalkeeper. And I guess, um, Jesse, onto your earlier point, um, it felt like this week was sort of the, the key narrative thread that came out of the Champions League was that, that there was a bit of a changing of the guard with Arland and Mbappe sort of overshadowing Messi and uh, Messi and Ronaldo this week as both of them uh, got results that they didn't really like. Scotty, what about you, mate? What didn't you like? Th- sorry, what did you like this week? I mean, for me, it was definitely the Barcelona result was a real sign of uh, just uh, since I remember watching football, Barcelona, if they haven't done well in the Champions League, it's because they've been doing well in the league. Or if they're not doing great in the league, they're really pushing in the Champions League. They're just not at the races at the moment. Uh, and uh, you hear the news about all of their financial issues, and so they're going to have to sell by the higher earner players. So they're going to be in a weak, even worse position. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean to be honest, I, I would have been tempted to let him go at the end of last year if they're in such a bad financial state uh, and just really have a season of rebuild. But they just try to cling to everything. Um, and I don't know if Kerman's the right man, uh, but I don't know if anyone would do great uh, there right now. It seems a bit of a, uh, a dire place to be. Look, Barcelona are really in a transition period and, and Koeman is sort of the perfect faller guy to, like he got rid of Suarez and, and really if they had have gotten rid of Messi, then Koeman takes all the blame for, for that. You can say, yep, he, he alienated him and, and you, you, can, you can use Koeman as a tool to, uh, I guess, set the club up for a few years' time and, and arguably what I thought they were doing at Man United with Solskjaer, but Solskjaer has <laughs> kind of stuck around for a bit longer than what I expected. So, um in, in a way, it's kind of sad seeing, uh, I guess, Barcelona and, and particularly Messi's situation at the moment. But they're, they're also, it's completely of their own making too. So um, I, don't, I don't feel as, um, as bad for them considering that they've absolutely gouged the Premier League, uh, especially our club, over the years. Every time they've had these, uh, these moments where they're starting to look a little bit um, brittle, they just steal other people's players and, uh, and bolster up again. So finally, uh, their lack of actually... Um, uh, lack of a deep squad uh, and just building their own talent is starting to bite them in the ass. So, um, yeah, couldn't happen to a better club. <clears throat> Scotty, I, I'm not sure if we've got your your opinion on on this um, since uh, we last had you on the pod, but um, Lee Broxton Facts in, uh, in the comments now is asking, um, do you think Messi would even bother going to, to somewhere outside of uh, Spain or, or does he need Spanish, I guess, to, to get him through? Uh, I mean, it really depends if he's... If he joins someone he knows, so maybe it's Pep that he goes for. Uh, that might be it. I can't see him going to like PSG or anything like this. Uh, there's such a different culture, nothing that he would know. Uh, you know, I mean, he's still got a couple years left playing very good football, but is he going to do that if he's completely up roots? He's been at Barca since well, since he moved across from Argentina, so. Maybe he goes back to Argentina just for some, you know, stat padding and trying to match Pele's goal tally or something. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I, and I can't see him going to, like, Chelsea, for example. It's a, it's a good point you make about stat padding because, like, at this point of his career, does Messi really need to stat pad? Like, <laughs> he's really done everything. And, and surely how motivated can he be? Uh, like, to go back to Argentina, for example, and and, and smack away 50 goals a season for, for Neil's old boys or something. But MLS, MLS, you probably uh, end up at. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not a bad shout, you know. 
Um, but all right, let's keep moving though. Uh, Jesse, what, what didn't you like this week in the world of football? Um, to be honest, there wasn't too many things that stood out for me. So it just actually, to be honest, it just came down to a few player errors. Um, we saw Juventus absolutely, um, yeah, shoot themselves in the foot in the first leg of that game, um, which just as a fan, when you watch, I mean, I've, I've had my, um, my fair share of, uh, my own goalkeeper shitting himself in recent weeks. So I, <laughs> I, I, I know the feeling and, and I, I'm not blaming the goalkeeper entirely on this one because it was a, a shit pass from the, the defender, but um, Wait, did someone have like a Gary Lineker moment or? Listen, listen mate, steady, steady. <laughs> um, but I think as a fan, you tear your hair out because, you know, goalkeepers are progressively doing more and more of this and and uh, it's happening across all the different leagues and it just drives you nuts because obviously there's a time and place, but there's also just times where you're just like, what is the point? What is the actual point of trying mm-hmm. to play out in that situation? Like, what are you trying to achieve? Like, you've got a, a slim percentage chance of squeezing through and then getting them on the, on the, uh, on the break, but just play the percentages in that situation and the percentages is that you are away from home in a Champions League first yeah. league tie. Um, first few minutes as well. First few minutes, it's just like um, it just was just one of those things which it had a massive effect on the team for the rest of the game, and then uh, obviously Porto scored another one. So, uh, plenty of work for Juventus to do in the second leg, and I, I think to be honest, that's probably my own goal of the week, just because it was such a poor, poor decision. Mate, mate, there's two things I w- just want to add about that. The, f- the first thing is uh, Juve losing in the Champions League was the closest thing I had to a moment of the week this week. The other thing is I, I just want to point out that. Um, Chesney actually played in Rome, hence you can see why I'm confused um, about whether it's a Rome, a Roman goalkeeper from Rome or if they are a Roman goalkeeper. You can see how it's an easy mistake to make. I'm seeing it. I, I, I just know that your, brain, your brain's been working in overdrive for the last five or six minutes. How can I, how can I, get, how can I link the two? <laughs> All right. Um, Scotty, what about you, mate? Uh, what, what haven't you liked this week? Uh, I thought it was a bit odd to see, uh, I don't know if uh, you've caught the highlights, but I think it was in the Championship or League One uh, Ipswich uh, match. Uh, the referee squared up to a player uh, and they went head to head. And it's a, uh, I mean, it was late in the game uh, and maybe you're a bit tired and frustrated, but like, the only high ground you have as a referee is you don't get involved in stuff like that. And uh, I mean, I haven't seen if there's been any like, inquiry or sort of, Oh, he said something that was completely beyond the pale, and that's why they squared up. But right, yeah, it's, the referees. Ca- ca- I, I defend referees a lot because they have a really tough job, uh, and they get completely scrutinised. But maybe don't start fights with the players. That would be a good idea. I'm glad you brought this up because I remember seeing this, and and I thought, oh, geez, this is this is pretty meaty. There's there's some discussion out of this, but um, to be honest, I completely forgot about it in terms of my notes. But um, in in terms of the actual incident. Um, it was bizarre, and I think um, it might have been Max Russian during the week. I think I saw, I think he did an article for the Guardian about it, which is that um, you know, this has been a long time coming, and it's almost more surprising that this kind of thing doesn't happen more often, really. Because, like you say, um, uh, referees they get such a raw deal from people like me. Um, who just constantly give them shit. And I guess I'm, I'm not abusive, but I definitely am a wind-up merchant. And um, I, I can only imagine how much worse it is at the top level where not just the players, but you've also got a couple thousand people in the stands as well. It, it, it boggles the mind, I guess, a little bit um, to some degree that um, 
they that it doesn't happen more often. But I guess it, it's only uh, I imagine it's only a, a matter of time that there'll be some sort of inquiry into this. And I imagine, unfortunately, the guy's probably going to miss a few weeks as a as a referee. Which, considering that's his job, um, I imagine he um, probably is going to miss a probably going to take a pretty nasty fine out of it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the way to cut out or cut a lot of that kind of stress out there is just to have the same kind of rules they do in uh, in rugby. Like you know, captain only speaks to the ref. And, you know, you 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 give any any abuse to the ref. You know, any name call, anything like that, just that they're off for a bit. You know, them call mm-hmm. out. That's it. This essentially segues really nicely into like a bonus own go I had. Are we uh, Easter egg <laughs> for everybody? Which was um, to do with referees' egos. So. It's a, for me, it's a space that's starting to grow into a bit of an issue at the moment where we're seeing decisions which are wrong decisions um, and then VARs saying maybe you should go review them and the the embarrassment of having to go back on a, on a big decision is almost overruling common sense and we're seeing uh, referees actually be very stubborn and not wanting to make mistakes and not to wanting to admit mistakes and it's becoming an absolute shit show. Um, yeah, we'll talk about it soon. But one of them that comes to mind is the is the Sheffield United game this morning and uh, a clear penalty in the last sort of ten minutes. And it's just like, what is going on? Like, how is that being missed by the referee? How's that being missed by VAR? Um, but they just don't seem to want to accept any kind of responsibility. And it's 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 it's, it's almost like when they have to, they the egos get in the way, which is worrying. You don't want to see that trend mm-hmm. continue. But, but Jesse, like that's that's a very interesting point that you make about the psychology of of VAR and referees, and and also the person who's in the VAR box too. Because I mean, I think you've seen very different responses to to recommendations from the VAR depending on who the referee is. For example, I think some uh, and, and some of that does come down to ego, right? Like I think there are, there are some referees that have said, no, like I don't care what VAR tells me, like I'm right, like doesn't matter what the evidence is, unless like I've completely missed it, not seen it then pretty much I'm, I'm not going to pay much attention to VAR. But then you've got the flip side where any sort of involvement from the VAR instantly sort of brings doubt into the referee's mind that, oh, shit, oh, maybe I've made a mistake here. What if I missed? Oh, gee, someone else is bringing it to my attention. And uh, and and then like they're, they're otherwise backtracking on decisions that were probably right in the first place. And the um, reason why this is a developing space, though, is that the the old thing used to be is that we got the replay, replays as a viewer, but the referee didn't. So if mm. the referee screwed up, they could just be like, listen, it happened in fast time. I didn't realize it was a mistake. And they could sort of just use that as an excuse. But now that they get the option to watch the screen like we do, that's why this is a concern, I think, because they are seeing the same thing as us, yet they're coming to different conclusions. And sometimes you can see that they just don't want to admit that they got the original decision wrong so uh, as i said it's a bit of a concern because it's starting to happen more and more so we, we, saw, we saw in the um the a-league match yesterday between western united and macarthur um about how one of there was one of the western united goals i think it was that um var reviewed not because of something that really happened in in that phase of play but pretty much it was happening in the phase of play before it um and it was, uh, the, I think the commentators called it re-refereeing the match. And VAR has got to be very, very careful that it doesn't go down this path where it's re-refereeing matches uh, from the VAR booth because no, no one wants that. And no. it was never what VAR was designed for. And um, I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I mentioned to someone yesterday that uh, 
as far as VAR goes, I, I was a I was very pro VAR. I thought it only made sense, but the the, long, the further and further and deeper and deeper we get into VAR, I'm I'm just like not get rid of it because it's yeah. it's created more problems than it's solved. Um, Me too. I don't think I'm anyone saying. is enjoying. Yeah, I agree. Uh, sorry, very quickly, I would just say that the one thing I think you need to add in is to stop it is to have time limits. So there should be a time limit between the incident and the VAR referee, uh, notifying the referee. There should be an amount of video that the referee is allowed to watch. Like the VAR ref should be showing them the thing that changes their mind. They should be going, look, look at this 10 seconds of video. This will change your mind. And if they, and if they go, okay, I can't see anything that changed my mind. Cool. Carry on with the match. Like the longer, cause the longer you have it, the more people, the, the more it breaks up the play, the more people get frustrated at it. Like I just think you, You've taken a game that's very free-flowing, especially like a league like the Premier League, and you've added these breaks in. People don't know whether to celebrate uh, a goal. Um, And, I mean, even like the – I think I will probably get to it um, with the offside decisions even this week. But if you have to spend more than a minute deciding whether it's offside, it's not. Play on. That's it. Yeah. Benefit of the doubt to the attacker, I think. Yeah. So I think you guys will remember the the 2018 World Cup, how we saw that – in the group stage, VAR was getting quite involved in in the matches, but then in the knockout stages, the bar seemed to be raised for um, the for at what point VAR would get involved. And basically, for the whole group stage, I think VAR got involved maybe twice. But it was it was a like everyone praised, everyone said like this this is exactly how it should be. Like I think at that point, um, VAR had been in the Bundesliga, I think in the A-League, and I think maybe Serie A as well. And fans from those respective countries were like, oh, cool. Like, why, why can't they do that in, like, the A-League and the Bundesliga and stuff? But then, like, after that, they brought it in in uh, the Premier League. And it's and it's still not right in the Premier League or the A-League. And so no. it's like, what, how have we regressed? Have we made it worse in the last few years? Look, uh, I, I, I hate to be uh, another podcast that talks uh, at length about VAR, <laughs> but... It um, it's just one of those things at the moment, isn't it? But um, look, fellas, shall we get into some uh, into some actual football that involves a, a ball and, and not just refereeing decisions? Shall we? Um, we'll get into the Premier League. Won the big games in Milan, in Madrid, in Munich. He is yet to win the big game to Corey, and so many of his predecessors have failed so often. This is fiddled through for Richardson! Staggering start in front of the vacant court! Everton! 
Everton, Everton snatched the lead at Anfield. Hold the blue back, Page. Well, we talk about James and the fact that he doesn't like working back, but this is what he's brilliant at. So, um, really, uh, I guess the, the big match from not just overnight, but from the last 48 hours in the, in the Premier League was uh, the Merseyside derby. Jesse, uh, I hope uh, hope you're feeling all right, but would you say that this was a, an unexpected result? Uh, yeah, I would, in all honesty. Uh, I, I didn't necessarily think we'd win because um, I think, I mean, I've got a lot of respect for Ancelotti and he, it, when he's, when he's uh, managed, uh, it doesn't matter if he's managing Everton or Napoli, he seems to have Klopp's, um, Klopp's number and, and, and really we find it very difficult to get through his setup. Um, so I didn't necessarily expect to win, but... Um, it just was such a disappointing um, result for us because, I mean, we've already lost three on the bounce at home, which is still incredible considering our recent records. Um, and then to, that, to, to, that make to, it four? It's four, four at home in a row um, that we've lost. So, um, yeah, like I think, you know, there's no doubt that it, it, it's it's a kick in the nuts. It's, um, yeah, yeah. Well, luckily I'm not a Melbourne Victory fan. So, um, yeah, oh, <laughs> But uh, I'm, a, I'm a Wellington Phoenix fan, though, so I can empathise right now. Similar parts of the table, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think the thing for me with the with the Liverpool side of things is that I mean I talked about it quite a bit last week, so I won't say much. But I just think that we are obviously in a rut. Everyone can see that. Um, but the concern is sometimes when your team's losing, isn't so much is, is that they're losing. It's um, what's the plan? What's the plan to get out of the rut? Um, I think Klopp's probably been a little bit too stubborn with his tactics. Um, considering the amount of injuries we've had. So the injuries are there. We can't get around that. Um, but he just seems to be persisting with this, the system. And uh, the players, uh, they, I call them handbrake players. So we, we've got too many <laughs> players like um, Wijnaldum and stuff who are good players, but when they are put in that position in the final third, they want to stop and they want to look for um, support players. And it means that essentially you're only looking to the front three to score goals. And that's just, it, it, it stifled kind of our um, our attack. And our back line's also got another story going on as well. So, yeah, no, I think that we were there to be taken by, by Everton. Everton hadn't won for such a long time. Um, record smashed. I think it was the first time in 22 years, 23 years. Um, so the hoodoo's off for them. Um, so if there was going to be a time that you are going to come to Anfield and beat us, it was it was last night. So, um, yeah, fair, fair play to Everton. They they did essentially to us what we did to Leipzig during the week. They, they took a couple of opportunities um, and punished us. So I, I can't complain. They, they deserve to, to get the result in the end. I thought the penalty was a bit a bit dodged. I think it was probably more accurate. A 1-0 win, <laughs> win to Everton probably would have been more... Um, fair in my eyes i don't think it quite deserved a penalty but um i'm, I'm sure the viewers might have uh, other opinions on that mate uh, just to clarify so it's the first uh, everton derby win since 2006 uh three nil to everton on that day uh any, any guesses for who the scorers for everton were that day you're gonna mention um a certain aussie are you you're gonna say was there a, was there a timmy cahill was there a um who was the other time? Tim Tim Cahill was one, and there was another player that scored two goals. So uh, he, he was quite prolific in the A League. Uh, sorry, in the Premier League. Arteta. No, Arteta wasn't prolific. <laughs> oh, chase, what, chase, what? Mid noughties. Maybe a prolific passer, but uh, no. Any when I say he was prolific, he was only prolific for about two seasons. Crystal, Crystal, Crystal Palace. There's a big clue. Uh, Andy Johnson? Did he go? Bingo. Andy Johnson scored two goals, which 
Um, Andy Johnson was one of those weird players that he went through a bit of a he went through a name change. Do you remember he was Andy Johnson when he was playing for um for Palace and he I think he scored twenty plus goals in a season. And then he went to Everton and then all of a sudden he became Andrew Johnson. And I was like, wait, is this the same guy? <laughs> Um, but uh, look, I, I tell you what, Jesse, uh, Scotty, this this game kind of felt like a bit of a um, a bit of a an um, is it an allegory uh, or an analogy for for Liverpool's season? Um, yeah. They they, like, they were they were tentative in the early stages. Uh, looked sort of out of form, a little bit rusty. Conceded early, which is maybe sort of the um, uh, is the the Van Dyke injury to their season. Um, they never really looked like they recovered from that. They there were some patches where they looked good um, throughout this match and looked like they were going to uh, sort of get back on track, maybe get back into the game. Uh, and then then there was the Henderson injury again on the 30th minute, so another setback which where when they were just starting to look like they were getting back um, back on top, uh, they they couldn't end up scoring. And then uh, then there were, I guess was arguably a soft goal towards the end where, um, like you say, I think. Conceding two on a on a night like that, where Everton didn't really offer that much going forward. Um, I mean that that Hummers goal at the very beginning. That oh, sorry, the Hummers through ball. The assist, oh, yeah, that was beautiful. Nice. And look, the finish was very good too. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from Hummers or Richarlison there, but um, I mean beyond that, they didn't really offer much. And and Everton sat very deep. Um, which uh, in the past has been a bit of an issue for for Liverpool playing against um, defences that sit very deep in a, in a low block. And and Ancelotti got his tactics right, I think, too, where he had um, basically a, a back five um, with uh, Coleman trying to basically um, uh, keep who would have been on that side, would have been Robertson uh, out, of, out of the game on that side. So he got the tactics right, too. And, and you sort of see there are a few things here conspiring against Liverpool with the injury, the early goal, um, and giving away, I guess, a safe, a soft, um, a soft penalty as well at the end. Which, so for me, it was kind of like that. that that's Liverpool season there in a bit of a nutshell. Like that, they, they haven't played badly. They, they were a little bit unlucky. They, they weren't very awake at the very beginning. And it's just, uh, I, I guess, I can only say that um, at this point, Jesse, this is probably a bit of a flashback to probably three or four years ago, where it's a bit like of a return back to the main for, for Liverpool. Hundred percent. Like I, I remember we had last season when we even when we were like you know sixteen points ahead or something, and I was still shitting myself <laughs> because you know those 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 cuts run deep of us just losing leads and 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 um, capitulating in games. So yeah, I think it brings back a lot of memories for us. And that uh, I think the the concern now obviously is whether or not we're going to get in the top four. At the moment, we can't even buy a win. So you know if we're going to get in the top four. I mean, Chelsea had a draw. It was there if we wanted to try and get back in again. Um, and then, and now Everton's uh, even on points with us with a game in hand. Um, so, yeah, there are there are teams around us and below us that are in far better fan, uh, uh, far better form. Which I suppose you two uh, will be happy to chime in when your team uh, comes up. Um, <laughs> far better form than when we are. And the way the season's going, I mean, stranger things have happened. I mean, who knows where we're going to finish now? So, um, my personally, uh, my concern at the moment is that we don't seem to have a plan B. Uh, with our tactics um, so it's not so much the fact that we're losing it's the fact that if we're going to stop the rot um, we need to to come up with something because the, we, basically the other teams have really figured us out um, it's quite obvious Jesse, Jesse what's what's your plan B what, what should Klopp be going to should he be going to like a three at the back should he be playing 4-4-2 or, or what should he do 
Yeah, no, well, consider the formation. He, he never changes the formation, really. I mean, a, apart from mm-hmm. the occasional 4-3-2-1, leaning into a 4-3-3, that's about it, really. Like, we don't, we're not that expansive. We've never tried wing backs. Um, we've never tried anything like that, really, since he's been, been around. So uh, we're quite sort of like, and I, I never really thought that we were a system team. I know that we had a big identity with pressing. Um, and that was all very much like our identity. But um, I'm concerned that there are players there that are very good players who just don't seem to be working well within the system anymore. Um, and that might, that for me means the system needs to change. Um, uh, Tiago, like, you know, <laughs> you take him out of a Champions League winning team and you plonk him in that team and, and he's, he's not looking like Tiago. Um, so, and then you take Minamino out of that team and he goes and scores two goals for Southampton. So, he, that when he, what, what he did against Southampton last night is what we thought we were getting when we bought him. And then he comes into the setup and then he struggles. So that for me shows that whatever we're doing in training, um, maybe we're trying to mold players into the system rather than mold the system around the players. Um, mm-hmm. And that's concerning me a little bit. That is something that West Ham fans are very familiar with is a player leaving, going elsewhere and doing far better than <laughs> they ever did for us. So mate, uh, we, we feel you there. Yeah. But, um, Anyway. I guess uh, it would be really interesting to see if, if Klopp does change things up. And uh, I guess going to a back three from a back four is sort of the ultimate Premier League. Uh, um, we're struggling at the moment and need to change things up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesse, um, one one other thing, uh, though. Arguably, um, there were some poor performances from from senior uh, Liverpool players yesterday. Do, do you wonder if uh, the, the dressing room is starting to, to turn a little bit um, there with... Like un- uncharacteristically, we're seeing like Mane, for example. He he seemed to run into dead ends and make bad decisions, which was like probably one of the worst performances I've seen from Mane, for example, for for quite a while. And Mane doesn't have bad games really for the last two years. That's what I mean. Like, that's what I mean. Like these players don't become bad players overnight, and that's why I think it's a system thing because I think that you're seeing um, like Mane is a great example. So so he's playing in a position where he's having to go back deeper because. He's receiving the ball from a fielder further back in the pitch because we haven't got a Henderson or a Fabinho pushing them forward. So mm. he's limited to what he can do. And see, what you're seeing is you're seeing Mane and Salah both trying to, you know, weave through six players to get into the box. Whereas what used to happen is that because the two fullbacks were free down the side because of Henderson and Fabinho, the fullbacks would feed them and you'd have Mane receiving the ball further up towards the box. So the whole system is, is screwed because our centre backs, um, we've got midfielders playing centre backs. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we've got the midfield isn't a good fit. You, you've got too many sort of different players in the midfield and none of them are really enforcers, and that's where you miss Henderson and that's where you miss those little players. So um, it's not a coincidence that we actually play one of our best games this season um, against Spurs when Milner came in and they just said, you're going to go in there and you're just going to enforce, and he freed everything up for the rest of the team. So it's a system that has worked for us when all our players are fit, our players aren't all fit, so I think he needs to come up with a plan B because the, going back to your original question about the dressing room, yep, players like Mane and Salah are going to start getting really fed up with it if they're not going to be getting goals because then they start to have their own confidence lowered um, and that's that's a concern for me as well. I mean, there's already been rumours for the last maybe 12 months about Salah maybe going to Real Madrid even though they don't have any money. So, um yeah, I tell you a player I'd love to see in a red jersey, and this is just a bit of food for thought: is that is Rafinha? That would Ooh. be that would be such a tasty signing, and I just I just have this feeling that we might have an eye on him. Um, Leeds fans will, will will get at me, but um, uh, 
if there's any club that he goes to in the Premier League, if he leaves Leeds, I'd love to have him. I just think he'd be a great fit for us. But anyway, another yeah, day. I guess like we, we've seen uh, City sort of struggling with the the post uh, company and David Silva era, and I guess um they they since sort of turned things around in the second half of this season and, and now are looking incredible. Um, but we have seen that it's incredibly difficult in in the Premier League and and elsewhere as well to to be able to um, uh, rebuild a, a squad or, or re- regenerate a squad. And I guess Klopp is kind of at that point now where he maybe does need to to throw some um, some fresh life into the squad. And he kind of had that with Jota, and I guess he's been been pretty unlucky with injuries uh, with uh, him on that front. But um, yeah, I guess maybe maybe it is time to to move Salah on and uh, and get Rafinha in there. That would uh, definitely shake things up a bit. We'll see. It could be Salah or Mane. It will be one of the two of them. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting in the summer to see what happens to those players. So yeah, fascinating stuff. But um, all right, let's let's get moving. Though plenty of other uh, games for us to cover. Uh, in, there was two uh, relegation six pointers uh, that were played overnight. Um, one of them turned out to be a relegation for a uh, two-pointer because uh, it turned out to be a draw. But uh, first up, Fulham hosted Sheffield United, uh, the first of the two uh, relegation six-pointers. Uh, it was just a single goal for Adamola Lookman, uh, who gave Fulham the very three, very important three points. Um, Fulham now are just three points behind Newcastle. Um, who And Fulham play Palace, Spurs and Liverpool in the next three weeks. Uh could Fulham actually be clear of the relegation zone after after those three games? I mean, I think they're at, they're at Fulham are really um, like getting the dividends from keeping Parker. I think a lot of people were talking about Parker not being experienced enough as a manager for the uh, after his uh, start in the Premier League. But um, he's got them playing decent football. He's got a couple of players like Lookman, um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek as well. Uh, if he can get a decent run of games without picking up stupid injuries, it'll be great for him. But he's uh, he's got a couple of players there that can really provide a spark, and they were the difference. Um, and I think they can. They can. I mean, they're definitely playing better football than Newcastle right now. So, I mean, they give Palace a go uh, or those kind of things. Like they're going to chase teams down. That are above them now, and that I mean, it's uh, um, on the flip side. Sheffield United, well, I don't really know what they're dead in the water this season after a very solid last season. It's a very, it's a big turnaround. Yeah, and I mean, if there's been two teams that have been hit uh, really hard by injuries, one is Liverpool, and the other one is Sheffield United. They they lost, uh, I think, it was Jack O'Connell to um, to an injury. I can't, I can't remember if it was the first game or the. Or in a preseason game, early. and yeah. and obviously they they lost Henderson as well, um, and so those those two injuries uh, or, or changes have have pretty much um, almost killed off their season before it started. I mean, a lot of people rate Ramsdale, and I think he makes a lot of saves as saves that he should make, but he um he, he's just not in the same ballpark as Henderson's performances were no. last year. Um, Scotty, back to your point about um Scott Parker though, uh, I think um. Scott Parker has done an incredible job at Fulham this season because I remember when I think it was the first round that they played Arsenal and I thought Fulham were absolutely dire. I thought mm. they, they could go, uh, they could set a new record for being one of the, one of the, for the least points in a, in a season. But he, he has really evolved that team and, and now like they're, they're, they're hard to beat. They don't create heaps of chances, 
but for a team uh, that's got, I think it's Harrison Reed, who's like five foot shit, um, in in the middle in the center of midfield, like they are they are a pretty tough team to play against. They're kind of this season's Sheffield United. He's been um, one of their best players, uh, Reed, in the last few games, mate. So uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like could he's be the, been very could be the good. Best and fairest. <laughs> but um, like I, I think that's a great shout, um, Scotty. For uh, and I think given how they started, if if Fulham can keep um, uh, sorry, if Scott Parker can keep Fulham up this season, I think he's a pretty decent shout for rivaling David Moyes for manager of the season. To be honest, I completely agree, and um, I, I think it's just. I, I think what was it five or six games in, or just a, a, a few weeks after the transfer window closed? I think the chairman apologised on Twitter that he hadn't it's invested so more. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, I mean, everyone was like, "What on earth are you doing?" Like, I mean, not the time to do yeah. it, but <laughs> it showed that they thought that you know, they could have done a bit more. So Parker yeah. has done really well with the squad, and I think even if he doesn't keep them up, say like the deficit was just a bit too much, they're better for it next season. Like they're playing the right football. They're keeping it. I mean, we'll get on to West Brom, but like, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, the other way around. Uh, I just think that you know, if you go back down and you're playing defensive, turgid football, it's really hard to then bounce back in like through the championship where you've got to play a bit more expansively to get the wins that you need. So like, he's playing sensible football. He's getting the best out of players. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I'm hoping that he's banned Lookman from ever taking a penalty again after. <laughs> It's like what ninety fourth minute Paneka to uh, Fabianski, um, but yeah, I mean, if if you think about that, I mean, there there've been moments in a lot of the games where they could have turned losses into draws and draws into wins. So yeah, I think uh, yeah, backing the manager in that sense is really good, and he deserves the plaudits. Uh, so hopefully, I, I think the only thing that kind of goes against Fulham is that um, if. If Scott Parker doesn't manage to keep them up and, and if Fulham do go down, I just don't think Scott Parker will be there next season. I, I think he'll be at a Premier League club uh, next season, regardless of whether Fulham um, stay up. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think he's got a, a music career with the streets um, lined, up, <laughs> lined up, actually. <laughs> that, bloke could, uh, that bloke's got English hip-hop written all over him. Um, that was... I, I remember that, Jesse. That was fucking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Name a better crossover, eh? Yeah. Class. Um, <laughs> Jesse, uh, look, uh, there's, there is a question for, for the two of you gents uh, uh, on Twitter from Connor, aka Tom Aldred fan page. Uh, he wants to know who is most likely to be reeled in by Fulham if they're going to reel someone in, Brighton, Burnley, or Newcastle? Scott, do you want what? to go first? Newcastle. Uh, I, I have, I play. Uh, well, Jess and I are on the same team as a Newcastle fan, and he's—I I think he stopped watching. Uh, he's genuinely like—he he says like last Bruce match, he just like he just watched it and drunk and just got a bit depressed about it all. Um, like, there's nothing coming out of it. There's no—I mean, you've got a couple of decent players in there, like you know, Callum Wilson's always good for a few goals. And if you sign Callum Wilson and end up going down, like, if you're playing him right, it shouldn't be happening. Like he's a good enough striker to get those goals, but they're just. It's not defensively solid. It's not interesting. It's just a... well, and I guess like they're another team that's been hammered by injuries, right? They they've had uh, Allenson Maximum, and I think um, Callum Wilson's been out for, or I think he's out in general for like six weeks or something. Or six they can't keep, weeks. They can't keep Lascelles fit either. That's a big issue for them as well. Um, True. It's it's funny this question. This question doesn't include Palace. 
and Palace would be my answer. I think Palace are going down the way they're going. Um, we'll find out obviously tomorrow with the Brighton game because that's, that's that's a big game between Brighton and uh, and Palace. But I, I I feel like I mean I think Newcastle are seriously in danger. Don't don't get me wrong, but I think Palace are, are <laughs> they're in free fall as well. Um, I. It's going to be very interesting to see because what could actually help Fulham um, stay up here is them having, like you, you mentioned, their their fixtures in the next few weeks. They're not, they're not easy. Um, but if they come out the other side, even with a point um, from those fixtures and then maybe a point and a win after that, that might even be enough to creep up above these teams if they're in free fall and losing every game, which they are at the moment, Palace particularly. What's bizarre about um, this conversation, gents, is that I feel like it was about maybe two months ago uh, so maybe November, late December, I think everyone had written off West Brom. Well, I had written off West Brom, Fulham and Sheffield United as, as being that. That's the relegation race that's been run. Because uh, like the likes of Newcastle, Burnley, Brighton and Palace were all looking okay. They were they were picking up wins. They were picking up points. They looked okay at home. And um, since then, I guess, well, West Brom, West Brom, but uh, Fulham seemed to have sort of turned a corner a little bit. And the other... Those other three teams, uh, sort of maybe barring Brighton, are, are struggling. It's because um, the it's because the media, the way they look at it with relegation fights, is they go, those teams need to get back in form to to get back up. They need to get the, the the results right. What they completely ignore, and this is what my point was originally, is that they're ignoring the teams above them. So they're they're assuming, all based on assumption, that Palace doesn't shit the bed, that Newcastle doesn't shit the bed, that these mm. these teams keep getting results. The minute they stop getting results and the bottom three start to get a few, all of a sudden that gap closes. Like another example in a separate way, Arsenal was copying so much shit early in the season about being in a relegation battle, yet they were only <laughs> about eight points behind um, uh, Chelsea and United and a few of them. And they were like, oh, everyone was just absolutely ripping into Arsenal. And I was like, well, it's only going to take like a draw and a loss for any team above them and a couple of wins for Arsenal. And that's two points. And then you're like, why are people writing off um, those teams when it, it actually is the teams above them dropping points that allows those teams back into the race? I think Fulham could get out of here just because of um, just because of Palace and Newcastle potentially dropping in there. So, yeah, it's a big assumption that those teams are going to keep performing well, I think. Fair enough. All right, gents, uh, let's move on to the other relegation six-pointer or the relegation two-pointer as it turned out to be. Um, this game really was one for the purists only. Uh, West Brom had Sami Ajayi sent off after 29 minutes um, and neither side could really find a moment of quality to win them the game though. Um, West Brom gave it their all in the second half uh, with only 10 men and came close uh, came close on a, on a few occasions uh, while Burnley did not play like they had an extra man. They were absolutely dire. And look, to be perfectly honest, I, I don't remember seeing commentators in sort of the post-match game, uh, slamming a team as hard as I saw Burnley get slammed by, I think it was Hargraves, and I can't remember who the other the other pundit was. Um, Burnley only had one shot on target the entire match, which is like unfathomable how a team can be that bad against the team that's second last, and the team who's second last have only ten men. Just unfathomable. <laughs> um, Burnley did have a, a pretty decent shout for a pen uh, waved away, but. Yeah, this this one stayed nil all. Um, boys, anything to add on, on this other than it was shit and I wish I could get back two hours of my life? <laughs> you know what? This game was so bad, I don't even know if I want to talk about it. Um, but <laughs> but, but uh, just just before, like, we were just talking about the following game before. 
And again, it just reminded me of what I was saying earlier about the penalties. Did you guys see the penalty uh, uh, the, at the end of the game? Uh, I think it was Ariola that came out and absolutely clattered, clattered the um, Sheffield United attacker. Was it Vogel? Yeah, uh, Vogel. Yeah. Right back, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're right, Jared Vogel. Vogel, yep. And 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 not even a refer- referral to VAR. It was just utterly bizarre, utterly bizarre. I can't believe it. I was like, you know, obviously Damo was in our group chat, and I was just like, <laughs> why isn't he he absolutely blown up at this? Like, I just can't believe it. Yeah, protect. Like, whenever the pen, a, a keeper and a player, an outfield player, are involved in a challenge, the keeper gets such a margin of um, benefit. Now, if they go to ground and their heads in there. Yes, they should get all the benefit, whatever. But this was just a 50-50 challenge that the keeper got wrong. Like, the keeper, uh, if it had been in the middle of the pitch uh, and midfield versus midfield, it's always, always a uh, Sheffield United uh, free kick. So therefore, the same challenge should be a foul the other way. That's it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Generally speaking, fellas, we are starting to see creep into into the game where challenges in the box are treated totally different to anywhere else on the field. Like the, the number of times, whether it's Salah or someone else who goes down easily, Zahar or something like that, and a foul is given where nowhere on, else on the pitch would that be given a foul. And and this is probably another example whereby like we all know that goalkeepers are a protected species and sort of I think every team sort of gives as good as they get um, about that as well. But um, this, this was a strange one because you're right, it probably could have been a pen and if it's an outfield player on an outfield player on halfway, the dude's probably lucky if he isn't getting sent off, which... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just with the Burnley West Brom, I, I did... I would not have watched this if I was not on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I knew the result. We're sorry. I, I, We're I, very I, sorry. I, I, I was on, on my Optus app. And I was just no like, refunds. I'm going to have I'm gonna have to... I had to click watch. <laughs> I was just like, oh, it's just going to be dull. And it was. I mean, you know, Sam Allardyce is not known for his entertainment in games and he's basically gone you know our game plan is half of the, over half the team you're just going to defend and then you're going to give it to the three maybe four players we have that have any spark and then just see if they can score like please just try I mean and to be fair they came really close um but it's yeah it only came close because Burnley were you know it, dire Oh, I mean, to have no second idea apart from, well, our fullback's open, so I pass it to the fullback, and then he's going to whip the ball in from deep. And then, oh, it's cleared. Okay, we'll try that again. Why are you trying it again? Please <laughs> do something different. But no. So, so basically, Sean Dyche's Burnley were, were Klopp's Liverpool in that they just didn't have a plan B. Well, well. Daesh's Burnley was a couple of weeks ago, uh, looked like Barcelona against Crystal Palace. So go figure. Um, this is true. Yeah. This is true. <laughs> like, what's going I on? Think that was like, that was six days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, boys. Let's, let's keep moving, though, uh, rather than give that game too much more time. Um, then the other game, uh, well, sorry, there were two more games. The first one was uh, George's Chelsea uh, traveled down uh, to Southampton. Um, both teams in very contrasting form. Chelsea's tight defence had seen them uh, win four and draw one in their last five. Uh, whilst in that run, uh, they'd also only conceded one goal, which is pretty incredible. Um, meanwhile, Southampton had lost their last five and had conceded nine in uh, that big win to Man United just a few weeks ago as well. Um, but a bit like the uh, the West Brom-Burnley game, this was a pretty dull affair. 
Um, Chelsea were very uninspired in the first half, and probably the most exciting thing about this game was watching Tuchel just lose his mind on the touchline. Um, the other the other thing I found really interesting about this game was um, Musa Gineppo, um, the the Southampton uh, winger. He seemed to be singled out. I don't know if it was intentional, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't intentional uh, for some special treatment. He just get, kept getting clattered time after time after time. And there were two tackles at least, which were sometimes you hear commentators refer to as orange cards. Um, and uh, one was uh, Kante, and I think the other one was Werner. And neither time uh, the referee uh, dished out a yellow card for, for either of those two. So I'm uh, not sure what uh, what uh, the referee, or sorry, what Gineppo had on, on the referee or, uh, or or what Chelsea had on, on Gineppo. But uh, yeah, that was that was wild. Um, boys, uh, the other the other really wild thing to come out of this game was um, I mentioned that Tuchel was he, he just seemed pissed um, for most of this game, just absolutely losing his mind on the touchline, which in of itself was was pretty comical. But um, uh, he did make a change at halftime. He brought on um, uh, Tammy Abraham. Uh, sorry, brought off. Ta- yeah. yeah. Brought brought on Hudson Adoy for Tammy Abraham, which was a, a sub that I thought at the time made sense. Uh, Hudson Adoy did not play well though. Um, there, there was one point where I think it was Alonso played him in, and uh, Hudson Adoy was just fast asleep and just didn't even move for the ball, and it, it ended up that um, I think Mason Mount ended up chasing down the ball and putting some pressure on the Southampton defender. Um, pretty pretty weird to watch, and the, and the commentators didn't make that much of it at the time because I think it was only sort of five or ten minutes into the half. But um, safe to say, Tuchel was not impressed by Hudson Odoi's performance, and uh, he hooked him after he'd only been on the pitch for twenty five minutes. Which, wow, it's been a while since we've seen that something like Brutal. that. But that that sends a very clear message, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this was a this was an interesting match because I. Southampton haven't been doing very well in the last few, nope. but I like uh, Hassan Huntel and I like Tuchel as, uh, as managers. They both think what they can try and do. And they, they've matched uh, the formations, which you know, Hassan Huntel hasn't done in a while. Like, he hasn't played the back three. But it seemed to work. Like, it seemed to just like kill all of Chelsea's space that they've been finding in recent games. Like, Marcus Alonso had nothing really going on apart from like a volley wide that he did. Um, and yeah, uh, I, they did work. I mean, Minamino's goal was nice as well. Uh, that was just, it was a really good pass. Kante wasn't quite close enough to the midfielder and classic back three, who picks up which striker. Uh, so, you know, the, what, the guy in the middle just stands in between them and then that's it. So that was really nice. Um, yeah, like, that that, that Minamino goal like everything worked out perfectly for Southampton and nothing went well in that sort of 10 second period for Chelsea I mean you had Mendy, Zuma, Azpilicueta and Kante all either made an an error or standing in a long position or or something like that and then for Minamino just to sit him down as uh, I think I can't remember which one of you it was that it was your moment of the week but um, Minamino sitting down both the goalkeeper and Azpilicueta and then basically just passing it into the net. Oh, that was that was that was sweet. It's delicious. Um, it's yeah. a really a really good point you make there, Scott, because I think that the uh, everyone knows that this period that, that Chelsea are coming into is going to really it's going to be a real test um, as to where they're at because they have just coincidentally with Tuchel starting they've had a pretty decent run of fixtures. So now yeah. it's like you know now it's like how are they going to find um, playing against some of the bigger teams um, and 
this was obviously not quite a um a top force of team but uh still a team that knows how to dig in uh, especially at home and yeah they, they they didn't adjust well to a new formation they didn't adjust well to their space getting closed down and they have actually very similar uh, issues uh, attacking wise uh, to to Liverpool in the sense that they they're having a lot of possession but they don't necessarily look like they're going to score um, in games uh, and that's actually hasn't been necessarily that bad against the bottom teams that we've just been talking about because they've had so much possession that eventually someone's probably going to get a goal but this is what I'm saying like if they play against a good team with a good setup um, I don't know how they find their way through they thought maybe that Tammy was going to be the answer they didn't think uh, after 45 minutes that he was the answer then they hook him Tammy Tammy is never um, the answer yeah well I mean the, the jury's <laughs> the jury's still out on on, on Tammy but I, I think personally that they're 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 very tidy in position um, and he will continue to persist with that but I think that they they might have issues scoring goals in the coming period unless he can find a way to change his system because they got, they got really nullified. Uh, Mason Mount was the only player uh, on that team who just looked like he could break the game open. He just he was the one player who just seemed to find a way of picking the lock. Um, he was yeah, he was very very good last night. And he he did. I think he, I'm pretty sure he won he won the penalty for um yep. Yeah. And took and, yeah, t- and so took he, it. Took the penalty. Which I mean that that in of itself, I guess, watching a young player sort of um, one stand up, win the penalty, and then go um, to to have the I guess the the balls to say, "Yep, I'm going to take it too." That was a real sort of um, Mason Mount leadership moment, I thought. Which I think a lot of people expected that Mason Mount would maybe sort of fade into the background once Tuchel arrived, and sort of his his uh, what do you call it? Like, what's the opposite of a love child? Like, love father of I don't know, his godfather Lampard had. Um, had left, so um, I guess it's encouraging for Mount that that he did really stand up there and um, in in that moment, um, winning the foul and and converting the penalty. Um, anything else you guys wanted to mention about this game? Um, I mean, I, I completely agree with your uh, the goal scoring issues. Um, I mean, it could have something to do with the fact that Lampard thought the more number tens he bought, the more goals he would score. But apparently, you can't fit more than one or two into a team. So there you go. They've they've done an Everton three three years ago. <laughs> yeah, alrighty, fellas. One one final game before we get into the previews, which was uh, Wolves hosted Leeds. Uh, this was Friday night uh, UK time, Saturday morning Oz time. Uh, only one goal in this one. Uh, Lead, uh, sorry, uh, Wolves won this one nil after Adama Traore shot uh, struck the crossbar, bounced down. Uh, and then rebounded off the Leeds goalkeeper Isar Mezier and into the goal. Probably one of the uh, one of the most unlucky things I've I've seen, and I guess you see things like this happen every so often. Um, boys, what's the most unlucky thing that's happened to you ever? Football, uh, football, un- unrelated. I'd say this question because I was completely unprepared for it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, I, I, can't, I don't even know if I can answer that. I, I'm racking through my uh, my life and I can't think of anything that does justice to that question. I've got something that's very similar to this. I was uh, I, I playing quite uh, off. Well, I used to play in goal five sides. And, yeah. And we were in a tournament and it got it was a draw for the final and uh, it was penalty shootouts for the uh, thing. And uh, one of them I saved, it pushed onto the post and it came off the back of my head and went in. And I I could not, I genuinely, I was just, I couldn't believe it. That would have been, it would have been it. It was just sudden death. And there you go. It was it. 
just didn't get the bounce right. So I feel for oh. the keeper. Nothing. I mean, if he hadn't have dived, they wouldn't have scored. Because he tried, because he actually put the effort in, they scored. And that has got to be gutting. Like, he was to, to quote Homer, <laughs> the lesson there is never try. <laughs> Tommy, if, you, if you'd been on a NASA space mission and you just, you know, your pods just uh, landed in the Atlantic Ocean and you've just come up and you check your phone to see what's happening in the Premier League, you've been away for a while. If you if you've been away for the last um, you know for part of the twenty twenty season and 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 this season, and you see Wolves one 0 leads, you just think that this is another standard Wolves performance because this is basically the Wolves of old. This is this is how they've made a living for themselves. Traore back, Traore goal one nil, um, job done. Um, and I think that if you're a Leeds fan, you're just absolutely blown up because Rafinha created about five or six opportunities and his teammates couldn't finish them. And it's like, like Cooper, like um, somebody, I saw somebody put on uh, Twitter that, that um, Cooper had transferred um, Rafinha into his, uh, his fantasy Premier League team. <laughs> and um, I thought that, uh, the, the irony that the man that transferred him into his team couldn't put the ball in the back of the net when Rafinha put it on his head from four <laughs> yards out. It was just, it was, it was cruel to watch. Um, I mean, I'm not a Leeds fan, but I was watching it and thinking, like, you have to feel hard done by as a Leeds fan in that game. They they created so much more. Um, should have <laughs> should have scored at least one goal. Um, so that's just that's just Leeds, though, isn't it? Like they're just not able to to score sometimes. <laughs> I, I mean, um, I love um, the Aceless football. I mean, he, he is like, I mean, if we're talking about different managers and the way they go, like Klopp is committed to the system. Aceless is committed to this idea that he is just going to give a massive list of instructions to each player and they're just going to run and do it. Oh, that's it. He, like, and he doesn't really care where his weaknesses are. He's just like, we're going to outplay them. But they, I think they've conceded the most headed goals or set piece goals in the Premier League. And they're also one of the lowest in terms of set, like, indirect set pieces. And this showed it. But, I mean, if you have someone who doesn't head it straight at the keeper, they scored like two or three. I mean, and because if usually you'd say if your best chances are from set pieces, you didn't play particularly well. But these were such good chances. Like these weren't, uh, you know, a uh, like a Sam Allardyce Bolton special kind of like, uh, back post header kind of thing. These were like running onto it full speed. All it has to be is, I mean. It's a decent keeper, but a yard either side at that at that pace, and it's it's really yep. tough to keep out. Um, so, I mean, given him, he'll he'll obviously keep like stay there with Leeds for a while, and hopefully he kind of does bring in players that can do a bit of both as he, if he gets the budget to do so, because his teams are great fun. I mean, it's pure like chaos of football. Uh, I mean, they've <laughs> they've scored loads and conceded loads. It's you don't know what's going to happen. Exactly, they can. They can. I think they blew away one team. Was it like four nil? And and every week you don't know if they're going to win four nil or lose four nil. Like it's 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 never nothing in between though. Um, the the Bamford disallowed goal though. Uh, that was that was rough. Um, and I think we, I think every single team, at least by this stage of the season, has been on the receiving end of one of those decisions by now. And if it's an arm, an armpit, an elbow. Um, Usually, what disallows the goal um, is is a piece of anatomy that you can't score with. Well, at least on the fo- at least on the football field, um, and um, it just it's just so cruel. It's just so cruel. Like you're just watching it, and you think, again, going back to Scott's original point, it's just like I feel like you've just got to give. If you don't know, if you're unsure, and you can't make a definitive decision, just 
just give the give the goal. I think that in general, across the league, if that was the consistent decision, um, teams would accept it. I know that everyone always will complain, but I think that if you're unsure, you've just got to give the goal because otherwise you really ruin the spectacle. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I had that, that suggestion earlier about you have a certain time or someone was suggesting like you use, like rather than use really minuscule lines, like you actually have like quite thick borders and basically that way you get that kind of overlap. And it, it basically, then if you've kind of got that 30 like centimetres, half a metre, give or take overall, then yeah, I mean, that, that's that's what we want. We just don't want people hanging off outside the like, height by three, five yards behind the defence. We don't care if it's like just coming through it's that's good football it's just when you know we, we want to stop clear and obvious that's what VAR was for mm. you mentioned about the thick lines mate um in in the netherlands they have uh, they they do use thick lines for their VAR in the eredivisie so um i think that's proven I mean, from from what I know, I, to be honest, I don't watch a lot of uh, Dutch football. Um, apparently, that has turned out to be reasonably successful, and, and it's a way of getting around that issue. Um, but look, there's still uh, quite a bit of football to be played this round, though. So we'll hook into some of the previews. And, and look, Scotty, while we've got you on the pod, we, we will talk a little bit of West Ham. I can finally indulge um, in, in a little bit of West Ham chat, especially whilst they're actually a decent team this year. I, I thought... Um, uh, it's finally an opportunity as well for for us to talk a little bit more West Ham too. So, look, um, let's let's hook into West Ham first. Uh, West Ham host uh, Jose Spurs. Um, Scotty, uh, look, I'll, I'll throw to you, a, I guess, a, a nice big juicy uh, question for you first up. Um, I think we talked about West Ham uh, earlier this year when we last had you on the pod about how uh, I think at the time they were playing like a three at the back and. Um, uh, they had Antonio up front, uh, obviously Rice and Suchek in the middle. But but how have things evolved uh, since, I guess, we last had you on the pod? Uh, I mean, Moyes has really like, changed. Like, I think uh, I've, I've made a post the other day. I think I said if you'd uh, suggested to me that Moyes would be championing like a dynamic three at the back system, utilising wing backs and playing like a front three that doesn't have a striker and winning, I would have either suggested you needed to be put down or you were <laughs> really like harsh to people and bullying them because is uh, but he's done really well in creating space. We've got a number of players that are good on the ball driving into space and he's created that. He's, he's worked out how to create the space in front of them. Uh, we have a very small squad and he's worked wonders with it. Uh, I mean, we'll get onto it, whether we can keep it regarding injuries, but... Yeah, he's done really, really well. Um, I mean, because he couldn't go, can keep his original back three with the injury to um, Masawaku. Uh, the players that have come in, like Ben Johnson's, worked really hard. Even Fredericks has looked a hell of a lot better than he did before. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, it does help that Rice and Suchek are potentially the uh, probably the most consistent six and box to box midfielder partnership in the league. Uh, I mean, Rice has he's always been good at sort of snuffing out chances, putting in the tackles. But he's he's really improved his passing distribution and also his own like danger up front. He's better at uh, getting getting forward and that kind of thing. Well, like he's taking free kicks now, which is kind of weird. <laughs> and penalties. Uh, yeah. You've got a 
You've got an absolute midfield of carbohydrates there as well. You've got the rice <laughs> and potato salad just back to back. I mean, nothing to get through. Nothing gets through that. Uh, uh, two checks. The uh, I think he's the best box to box midfielder in the Premier League. Uh, I don't think there's another um, one that keeps up. Like genuine box to box. There's there's better. I mean, Kante is crazy at six, like the way he covers it, and there are better attacking midfielders. But people to offer that kind of transition danger. I, he's like if you cross the ball anywhere in East London, Suchet gets on the end of it. I, there's no. <laughs> That's it. He starts running because he knows. He knows where he has to be. He has that knack. We talk about it when, like, even at our Sunday league side, certain people just know the runs that they've got to do and they know how to get on it, and he does. And he, I just, I've never seen him look that tired, which is, I, I don't know how, I mean, potato salad is obviously the, uh, <laughs> the food we've all been uh, sleeping on. And that's it. That's right. It's the right. perfect mix of, of carbs and protein with uh, like eggs in the mayo and uh, the carbohydrates from the potato. So it's just, it's the perfect meal. Yep, for sure. <laughs> um, already, mate. Uh, look, uh, I was mentioning, I think, um, before the, the pod started about how um, it's kind of uh, good this season because um, after the 2015-16 season, no one was talking about West Ham's great season uh, where they were inspired by Payet up to, I think it was seventh they finished. But at one point, they were, they were in for a shout for making Champions League. And they're looking, I guess, on a similar trajectory this year to probably finish seventh. But um, look, uh, what's been Moise's greatest? Or what's been West Ham's greatest achievement over the last few years? Would, would it be that 15-16 season? Uh, Moyes dragging us uh, West Ham out of relegation after Billich left. Uh, Moyes the second after after being in, involved in another relegation battle or, or this season. I mean, the fifteen sixteen season was uh, it was it was really not like it was just it was, it was special for uh, the fact that it was the last season at Upton Park. Um, it meant a lot that we kind of we pushed on all fronts, but I feel like we. we this season's different because that one we were we were dragged by like Payet was another level for us. Like he was he was a player that could like in that form. I mean he got Ballon d'Or votes. I mean the idea of a West Ham player getting Ballon d'Or votes is like farcical. Like, yeah, just like it, you, you kind of you kind of assume someone slipped on the page and accidentally uh, accidentally clicked instead. But um, this season doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like one person's greatness has kind of dragged the rest of them into it. Um, Moyes deserves a hell of a lot of credit um, for finding a system and changing systems. Like, uh, I mean, I would have loved to have replaced Haller with any striker. Um, <laughs> anyone? Anyone that, sucked, that, that has scored a Premier League goal in the last three years and can still run would have been a nice one. But, um, you mean Jesse Lingard? Uh, Jesse Lingard? Yeah, Jesse, Jesse Lingard um, has been surprisingly. Uh, but, but again, he's not. A, he's not a striker. Like my main issue is is that currently Antonio's got hamstrings made of cheese, and that's that's our biggest thing up front. So um, that's a worry. But yeah, I think that if we can keep any kind of semblance of this form up, we're we're really throwing the cat amongst the pigeons, and it's a great season to do it because, like, since we moved to the London Stadium. If the game is nil-nil after 70 minutes and we've been a bit dull, the crowd haven't sort of like got behind us and lifted it. It's got aggressive. It's got a little bit feisty rather than it being positive. So no crowds. It's kind of, I think like us and Aston Villa have probably been the team that, teams that have benefited most from no crowds. Um, so maybe when we get crowds back, 
the atmosphere will be slightly different. People will be hopeful coming back in. But yeah, uh, that kind of Jesse Lingard, Lanzini, Fornaus, doing like Moise is doing well at making them useful players and getting them in and around the box where they can do something. For me, uh, like I think uh, Moise's greatest achievement this year was. Where, where we looked good under a, a back three or a back five. Uh, and then Masuaka got injured. And I thought, no, the wheels are going to come off here once we go to a back four because we just don't have quite the same solidity. We had to play Creswell at left back. But even even going to a back four, West Ham still looked defensively solid, which is kind of really weird to say because like we haven't been defensively solid um, with a back four probably since Bilic was was at West Ham. I'm glad yeah. you raised that, Tommy, because you know we've talked about the attack, but I think from from an outside perspective, for me, that's been probably the by far and away the most impressive thing um, is is the defence. And I know that's something that you already associate with a Moyes team as just you know being organised, but you watch them when they're under the pump and they really don't allow a lot of space, um, and it, it takes a real moment of magic to get behind them. I think early in the season when we when we beat uh, West Ham at home, it was only because Shakiri came on and put a ridiculous pass through like it took someone to do something mercurial to get through the back of that defense so his his uh the amount of clean sheets really speak for themselves and um uh Cresswell um I think we talked about Cresswell in one of the previews or something and we were talking about like how is he gonna you know he's been there he's been there forever how's he gonna contribute did I hear the other day that the guy's got something like eight or nine assists this season what? like it's, it's something extraordinary like he's just he's it's. It, I don't know if it's been of their direct assists or if um or if some of this is uh, skewed, but he just seems to be um, having a, a fantastic season. And and you know he's a player that I didn't expect to be banging it. This no, so, so he's not doing that well. He, Aaron Quizzle's got six uh, assists for the season, which um, look to be honest does make him equal fourth uh, with Luca Dania and Marcus Rashford. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's something I didn't think we would be saying at the beginning of the right. season, that Creswell is uh, equal fourth for assists at, at this yeah. point of the season. I, I mean, over the uh, the summer transfer window in the UK, I, I was saying that left-back was an issue. Left-back was an area we really needed to sort out. But what he's, that Moyes has done is, I mean, well, for the last few years, Creswell has just been dealing with a winger that kind of doesn't like defending. Uh, and he's had the entirety of that left side to Marshall. Moyes has ensured that there's, I mean, people complained about Fornaus sticking out on the left there, but what Fornaus does is he works back. He makes sure that Cresswell always has some um, some company and that means that Cresswell's job defensively went from okay, you've got to deal with every attack there, to hold them up. You, if you delay them five seconds, we can get back. And that's what, I think that's what Moyes would have pushed into him and said, you don't have to make the tackle. You just have to stop and get him past you. And offensively, his free kicks over the last few years have been spotty at best, but he's, you know, he's really worked on that. And like from free play as well, he's, I, I don't know. I, I did a, um, I actually did a video on this a few, well, a couple of months or so into the season about how the back five really, like him at centre-back, really helped his attacking play because he didn't have to worry about bombing up constantly, but he mm. kind of got the ball in a deep position and then just whipped it in. 
Like, he didn't have any thinking to do. There was no like, oh, okay, should I try and beat the player here? It was like, okay, cool. Have I got a simple pass on? If not, that ball is going in. Antonio is going to attack it. Suchek's going to be in there. And there's probably going to be another player that will pick up pieces. And that kind of trust in other people has really helped. Like Cresswell, it's helped. I mean, Kufau has been great on that right-hand side as well. And the centre-backs actually look confident in each other. It's it's been uh it's been a wild season uh, and wildly unexpected that uh, West Ham are doing so well, which has been uh, a pleasant surprise. I'm sure it has been for you too, Scotty. Um, look, uh, this afternoon though, West Ham play uh, Spurs in uh, I guess uh, an important game for both teams, and, and arguably it's more important for um, for West Ham as as Champions League qualification appears to be slipping away for for Spurs though. What's uh what's your prediction for for this one and and why, um, Scotty? Uh, I'm really confident. Uh, I think if you look, I mean, if you're playing football manager, you'd pick the Spurs team. Uh, they're, they're, you know, <laughs> they've, got the, they've got the attributes. They've got the, um, you know, they've got the, the team there. But Jose's more, maybe his magic touch, touch is waning, but they don't look particularly confident. Um, I'm, I'm going to go for a, a 2-1 win to West Ham. Very good. All right, uh, Jesse, it's time. Wake up, mate. It's time to, to get back involved um, after a little bit of West Ham chat. Um, Aston Villa are hosting Leicester, in which I think has potential to be probably one of the, the, the games of the round. This, this could be a goal-a-thon, which maybe guarantees that it's going to be a nil or draw. But uh, Leicester are coming off that big win against Liverpool last week, while Villa um, only have two wins in their last five. Um, Jesse, who's your pick for, for this one and why? Well, first of all, listeners and, and watchers, I'm the worst tipster you'll ever come across <laughs> on, on MTech. Everything that I tend to tip on this platform is the exact opposite result. So, I mean, read into that how you will. Um, this game is going to be heavily influenced on Grealish's fitness because I don't know if you guys have seen, but rumor rumors have it. I don't know if it's been con- it's been uh, um, confirmed yet, but um apparently he's done a serious injury in training was the the rumors on twitter anyway so whether or not that's actually true we'll, we'll find out obviously later on but if he's out um that will completely change uh, the game so I, I think that if he's if he's fit it could be a really tight match and maybe a one-all draw which is a pretty boring prediction but probably what i think <laughs> probably, probably what i think is going to happen but to be honest if he's not there I think Leicester could could win, could win this one. So, um, yeah, I, I think that depending on Grealish's fitness, that's that's where I think it's going to go. But um, yeah, rumours are that he's out of this game. So, and could be out for over a month. Has uh, real potential to, I guess, really upset their season as well. Well, they've um, got an absolute they've got absolute shit fest of um, fixtures coming up, guys. I mean, wow, like they've had some good fixtures. Um, I think it's after a few game weeks from now that their run home is brutal. So they don't want to lose Grealish going into that run. Um, yeah, even though they've got games in hand as well. I know they've got games in hand, so they're in a good position. Don't get me wrong, but um, it'll be pretty disappointing if they um, have a really poor end of the season because they've done so well up until now. Uh, Scotty, Arsenal are coming off a 4-2 win uh, over Leeds whilst the City juggernaut looks unstoppable at the moment. Uh, Scotty, do you think Arsenal can stop the can stop City? I mean, it would be really interesting, Arteta was. Uh, you know, this is uh, the uh, master versus the apprentice kind of thing. Um, Arteta hasn't shown too much against the big sides. Like, he's kind of tried to nullify, and I don't know whether it's Arsenal haven't had the personnel to do it or uh, the plan hasn't really come off. But 
I mean, Obama Yang is scoring or and then missing sitters. I mean, you, <laughs> basically, need, like, if if Arsenal are going to win or get anything out of this match, they're going to get a few chances and they need to put them away because Pep, like Pep's teams, always work at like they you know they 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 run at a hard ninety percent kind of like, on, and then suddenly they click and they all hit hundred percent and then they just don't stop winning for ages and. They, it's just it's imperceptible to work out what that click was at, but sometimes it just happens um so i just i think right now they're you know they're probably the best footballing side in the world like when they play like this um i mean you've got teams out there like psg with mbappe and that kind of thing have got players that can change games in like a flash but city's system and ability to just go well, that player isn't quite having a very good game today. Let's bring another player on who's just going to do better than them. It's stupid. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's demoralising looking at it as a. Um, I mean, as if you're a Premier League defender coming up against City, it's just going to be ninety minutes of the most painful football you've ever. Because <laughs> you're just going to watch the ball move around, and then suddenly there's going to be a player next to you. You think you're marking him, and then he's ten yards away. And he's got the ball. And you're like, oh, no. And you just have to run. That's it. So Arsenal, if they play David Luiz, I think this could be um, a big City win because, I mean, he's he's just a football chaos machine. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I think Arteta will try his best, but I think it will be like 2-0 City, 2-1 maybe. I think Arteta needs to put his arm around Aubameyang and say, listen, mate, if you're as prolific as I was as an Everton striker... <laughs> <laughs> Go out there and get me a goal. Brilliant. Um, Jesse, Man United are hosting Newcastle. Uh, Man United had a big win in Spain midweek, uh, whilst Newcastle are the closest team to being sucked into the relegation zone, as we talked about already. Uh, Jesse, who is your pick for this one? Well, I mean, I can't not pick United. I mean, United should should win this game, should win it comfortably. Um, but the narrative is building around Newcastle and will they show some fight? Um, we've seen uh, United recently go to West Brom and have a draw uh, when they should have gone there and, and won convincingly. So I can't read the form of United, but I, I'm going to have to go safe and say a 2-0 to United. Um, but, you know, stranger things have happened, guys. I mean, Newcastle should should be playing like a team that's um, their lives depend on it because they're going to get sucked into that relegation zone real fast if they don't get some points. So uh, pretty much means that Newcastle are going to win then. <laughs> basically as i said before whatever i tip tip the opposite and uh, at what point when you're playing united do you just sacrifice one player to just stand next to bruno fernandez for the entire 90 minutes and, and that's that's literally all his job just go you do that we'll play with 10 men for the rest of the game if you let bruno fernandez get any more than five yards away from you like you'll find your week's weight it's kind of that you that is it that you just stay next to him because well, Shelby did that. Decent... To, Shelby did that to Hamas and the Everton derby. I mean, and, and got into Hamas's head. They just swapped. Remember, it was like Shelby just basically booted him until he got a yellow card, and then he swapped with Hayden and said, "Now nah, your turn." And then he booted yeah. him until he got a yellow card, and Hamas just got so disillusioned that he became like they nullified him. So I wonder if that's what they're going to do, Scott. I wonder if they're just going to uh, assign somebody to Bruno and just boot him uh, until he gets because he 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 is known for getting. Uh, flustered when he gets um when he does get fouled too much, Bruno he loses his head. 
I feel like that's something Rafa Benitez would do is say, yep, all right, we're going to mare mark him for the first half with, like you say, Shelby, and then in the second half, we'll be Hayden. Boys, get a yellow card, that's fine, but just don't get two. And if you get yellow, well, you're swapping over, and then maybe at the 60-minute mark, we'll, we'll tag you out and um, bring on someone else who can kick him for the final 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> but 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 like that, that's a way that like some teams use, I guess, uh, against a big team like this where they have a, a single talisman who who really that everything goes through. Um, interesting. All right. So, uh, look, the final game that we're going to preview, though, is Brighton versus Crystal Palace, which, um, Jesse, I think it was you that rightly pointed out, this is a bit of a relegation six-pointer, even though neither team is in the relegation zone right now. Um, if either team's performances continue the way they're going, um, they could get sucked into that, though. Um, the, the derby that no one really understands why it's a derby, uh, Brighton uh, are in decent form, uh, whilst uh, Crystal Palace are been pretty terrible whilst um, uh, Wilfred Zahar has been injured uh, and he's out as well for this one. So, look, uh, Scotty, what, what's your pick? Do you, do you think um, this is an easy win for Brighton? Uh, I, I like Brighton. I mean, I, stats-wise, they shouldn't be where they are. Uh, they are they do perform quite well, um, but they're just not getting the, the, the goals to get those results they need. Um I think they're a better side than Palace. And I think, you know, as long as they don't shit the bed in the first half an hour, they should control the game and go from there. Um, yeah, I mean, in your derby derby point, I don't... I remember this back in the UK and, and people were, oh, it's a Brighton Palace derby. I had some Palace point. Like, Why is it a derby? They went, you know, it's not that far away. I said, like, <laughs> it's like nearly 40 miles, which for the UK is a long way. Uh, you, get a, you get a fair other... Uh, you know, Lumper Clubs Palace, but apparently like, I looked it up because I was really interested. Like the only club closer to Brighton than Crystal Palace is Crawley, so therefore I can kind of understand Brighton really desperate for a derby. So it's like a derby that <laughs> there are no other derbies for them to have. <laughs> it's real A-League areas, huh? So oh, you're, you're, it's like oh, your emblem's an eagle and ours is a seagull. I, I don't like that. Let's make it a derby. <laughs> That's probably the best like, reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. the fighting over a chip derby. Yeah. It, it reminds me um, uh, in the A League, uh, Tommy, of the, is it the M M four M three derby with the um, with Newcastle? What, what's the name of the one with Newcastle up on the coast? I think it's the um, F one derby, isn't it? F one derby. Yeah. Sorry. So, um, I, so I heard someone the other day referred to it, 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 it. It should be the El Clasico coast, which I thought would be um, so much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is brilliant. Oh, I love yeah. that. That has got to catch on. Yeah, trademark that one, boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you heard it here. Maybe not first, but definitely second or more than a game. Hundred percent. Um, alrighty. Uh Scotty, what what was your pick for this one though? Uh I think Brian will win this two now. Very good. All right, that uh, wraps up all of our reviews and previews to the Premier League. Uh Colby's gonna jump up with uh some a-League chat as well, but uh, unfortunately, that's uh, all that the three of us have got for you today. It's been great joining you here in your lounge room or your commute to work, wherever it might be. But until next time, uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs> <laughs>